You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Our uh, title of our message this morning is, In Summary, Believe. In Summary, Believe. And so I hope this morning as, as we close out our time in this book that it feels a little bit like a parting of sorts. Uh, you know how sometimes a good book that you read and you finish it and it's like, oh, I feel like I've been traveling with this friend for a while and it's, it's a little bit like saying goodbye. Or those of us who are book nerds in the room, you, you get me on this. Maybe some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's okay. Uh, but I hope it feels that way a little bit. If you've been with us for most of this, that it's, hey, we're, we're saying goodbye to Paul and Titus for a little bit here. Um, I, hope that the, I hope that this letter, these words have spoken to you. I hope that they've been applicable to you in your heart, in your life, uh, that they've meant something to you, that you've learned, that you've grown through it. Uh, so in these last several verses of the book, Paul is basically saying P.S., postscript, kind of how you do at the end of a note or a letter. Uh, I know with email today, we don't really have these things uh, anymore. But in the old days, when you'd actually handwrite a letter, does anybody remember that? Okay, good. You'd sign your name, and then you're like, oh, I forgot something. Postscript, you know, that type of thing. Well, in this case, Paul's not that he forgot something. He's saying, no, I want to say it again. The first two chapters, and even the first part of chapter three, he's like, this section, he's saying, in case y'all forgot, in case you slept, I want to say it again as I'm closing this book out. So, in summary, believe. And so before we jump into our passage, let's, let's do a quick, uh, I don't know, ESPN top 10 highlight, if you will. Uh, top 7 highlights of our, of our previous times together going through the book. And I'm just going to quickly just kind of remind you, some of this will be up on the screen, uh, just kind of the titles of each messages. And hopefully that kind of jogs your memory. Or if you weren't with us, Maybe it'll inspire you to go back through. Uh, I'd asked you guys to read through the whole book each week between our teaching times and that it only took seven to eight minutes, uh, even if you're a slow reader, maybe nine minutes of your time. Not a huge commitment out of our day, right? Out of 24 hours, taking 10 minutes to read through this. And so hopefully that's what this will do. So I'm going to, I want to do this quickly. I don't want to wear anybody out with this, but our first week, verses one through four, the title was Why We Do What We Do. And we established that the theme through the book was we behave how we believe. If you ever wondered why you do the things you do, look at what you believe. And that's how you'll know why you do the things you do. And Paul introduced himself knowing who he was, a bondservant of Christ, because of his knowledge of the, of the truth, because of the work of Christ in his own life, Paul knew who he was, what he was going to do. And it, he was all about spreading the gospel. He was all about Christ and letting him be known. And because he knew this and believed this, he behaved this way. He was willing to give, be tortured. He was willing to be shipwrecked. He was willing to be starved. He was willing to be all of these things that we look throughout the rest of the New Testament and his other letters. We can, we can follow these stories through the book of Acts and different things of what he went through, what he was willing to go through. Not that he was a perfect man, but he signed up. He was all in. It's like everything, Lord, to live as Christ, to die as gain. 
And so how we behave shows us directly who we love. We love ourselves or do we love God? And then the second week, faithful to God and faithful to others. And this is where Paul just lined out the qualifications for elders in the church and spiritual leaders. And it wasn't just about only an elder in the church. It was about qualifications that every one of us as believers should strive for. Uh, That we should want to have these things in our lives. That we should want to be known as somebody like this in our lives. And it's a good thing to strive for that. And we do this by how we believe. Right? It's not, Paul was saying, this is a list of things to know that you're doing good. These are boxes to check off. Paul was saying, because you believe in Christ, because of who is in you, because of his work on the cross in and through your life and the gospel coming and flowing through you each and every day, these are your behaviors. This is how you'll know if you're believing the right thing. If you can look at these list of qualifications and, and you're seeing your life, your life's trajectory turn towards those things. And that we should compare ourselves to Christ, not to others. See, that's where we get hung up many times, is trying to compare ourselves to other people. I'm better than that person, or I know more than that person, or at least I'm not as bad as them, or or whatever. And that's where we get tripped up. Because we're still looking at ourselves, and we're looking at other people instead of looking at Christ. And then the next week, we finished out chapter 1. And in that week, Paul went through what a false teacher looks like. And the title of that was Ace the False Teacher's Pop Quiz. And in that we learned that by studying the truth and knowing the truth, we'll know the bad fruit that we see in the message from the false teacher or the false gospel that is prevalent in today's world. And, and some of those bad fruits we looked at was legalism. So saying these are the things you have to do to be good. These are the things you have to do to have salvation or, or to be whatever, fill in the blank. This is what you have to do. A plus B equals C. No, it's Christ. It's not that. Another bad fruit is the gospel plus or minus. It's saying Jesus plus this or this much, only you don't have to do this part. So it's anything taken away from the gospel or anything added to the gospel. And I'll explain the gospel again later on if, in, case you're, you're being, in case you're not sure what, that really, what I'm really saying there. Another fruit, bad fruit of a false teacher, a false gospel, is their love of money and the constant desire to have that and ask for that. I just saw a tweet recently this last week about a false teacher, a false preacher, and I forget where he's from and I forget his name, which is a good thing, who's asking his congregants for money so he can buy a brand new jet. Okay. <laughs> really? $50 million for a brand new jet? Because only he can go spread the gospel across the world and he needs to do so quickly? Really? That's a bad fruit of a false teacher. Okay? Turn that off if you're seeing that or hearing that. And then our action steps that we should take during that is to seek wise counsel. To seek wise counsel. First and foremost, here, the Word of God. And secondly, the leaders that God's given you in your church. Okay? I'm not going to say I'm the wisest, but I'll sure pray and do my best to give you the answer that God gives me. I know that Tony is wise, more so than me. He's shaking his head no. Forget that. 
he is. <laughs> he is somebody else as our other elder that you can go to. We have other leaders in this room, and there's, there's so many. We honored 50 plus of them this last Wednesday night at Cotton Eye Joe's, and there's many, many of them that I would trust wholeheartedly for you to go and ask what their wise counsel is on something like this. So seeking wise counsel, that we should be responsible for our own faith, okay? Guess what, guys? It's your job to work out your faith and your salvation through your time and the word and your prayer. My job's to supplement that. That's my job here is to help supplement you doing that on your own. If you are only coming here and this is your only time in the word and this is your only time in prayer, it's not enough. It's not enough. And that we should commit to and be engaged in a local body of gospel-centered believers. Just in case you needed a suggestion, I suggest here. (laughs) It's a good place with good people. The second chapter, the first part of that, where Paul goes, with, goes into this with Titus about discipleship and God's plan for advancing his church. And he goes into the four categories here where that specifically should take place. And he talks about the old men discipling the young men and the, and the older women discipling the young women. And that that is how the church will grow. That is how the church will grow. There is not a believer in this room that we cannot stop and think and go that somebody has discipled me if you've grown. You've been discipled in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Discipleship, there's not a formula. It doesn't look like, hey, we're going to go verse by verse for, through this book and we're going to meet twice a week and, and, and we're going to do this for two years and, and then bam, it's going to happen. No. It's going to happen like in Kurt's life group where they share life together and they anchor it through in a chapter of Psalms right now. It's going to look like, hey, I'm gardening. Why don't you come join me? Let's pray together while we're working on the garden. Or, hey, I'm moving. <laughs> we are. <laughs> come help pack with us. Come help us move. We'll love on you and pray with you and feed you. And <laughs> you don't have to, but if you offered, we would take it. <laughs> that can be discipleship. Serving here, just inviting somebody to help out in the kitchen when we have our amazing meals or all of those things can look like discipleship. It doesn't, there's not a formula. It's doing life together and, and seeking the Lord intentionally through that. And that's what discipleship is. It's focusing on what God wants us to become, who he wants us to become. The doing part, our fruit, will flow out of that. That's the part we need to be less worried about. If we're focusing on our heart and our relationship with him and who he wants us to become, the good fruit, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians and all of those things, they're going to flow out of us. They're going to flow out of us and people will see it. Then in chapter 2, we talked about adorning the gospel and how we as believers should adorn the gospel. It should, it should be something that is significant and beautiful, that is, that is a fragrance rolling off of us. It's, you know, how, how uh, when you walk by a patch of honeysuckles right now, and that fragrance is just kind of rolling off of them, and you smell that. That should be the gospel on us. If our lives are changed, if, if God is who he says he is, if, if he has revealed his glory to us, if our afflictions are, We are now unaware of them. 
we should be like, when somebody walks by us, there should just be like the presence of you walking by honeysuckles and you're like, oh, you can't even see them sometimes, but it's, there's just a presence. There are some people's homes. Maybe you felt that in and you've gone to visit them. And, and they've not even said a word. It's not like they're just praying and, and singing and, and preaching and all of these things. When you show up, you're just hanging out. And you're like, there's just a peace about this home. And it's just that fragrance of the gospel in our lives. It's that adorning of the gospel. And we talked further about slavery. That it's real and prevalent for many people in the world today. That while it's not so much of an issue on a daily basis for us in the United States... It was in our past, tragically so, but it is so for many, many people. Over 40 million people in the world today, mostly women and children, are in slavery of some form or fashion. And that, what should our response to that be? That we could pray for them, absolutely. That is the most powerful and effective thing that we can do, as we can pray for them. And perhaps God might call us to do more. Maybe God would call us to go engage and help. Maybe God would call us to, to bring in somebody who's rescued from slavery and, and love on them and give them a place to, to be, a place to stay, to get on their feet. I don't know. Be open to that. Be prayerful about that. We have the answer to slavery. Jesus Christ. He is that answer. And we're all slaves. Whether you know that or not, we're all a slave. We're either a slave to Christ, a bondservant to him because of his love and the desire to follow him and serve him wholeheartedly, or if we reject him, you're a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin and the passions of the flesh and getting what you want and having what you want and feeling good and, and that next high and that next thing that you think is going to make you feel good and be happy. But if you're honest with yourself, you know it's not because you've tried it. Again, Jesus is the answer. And without Christ, the Holy Spirit living and indwelling in us, we will behave rebelliously instead of submissively. Our speech and contact will be irritable and provoking, not pleasant and encouraging. We will be thieves and dishonest, not upright and honest. We will be unfaithful, not faithful. An embarrassment, not a blessing. And that list, too, that I just read to you, you can listen back to the old sermon notes on our website if you, if you want to go back to those. But that that's, should be our attitudes towards those in authority over us, whether it be an employer, whether it be a, a landlord, whether it be whatever. That we should be submissive, that we should be encouraging and a blessing, that we should be honest and upright, we should be faithful. And then finishing out chapter 2, we looked at God's grace. That grace saves, that grace trains, grace redeems, grace cleans. God's grace is God's unmerited favor towards man. Nothing deserved, nothing we can earn, nothing that he's required to give. It's his free choice to give it to us. And that is God's grace. That is his love. That is his mercy. That is his blessing on his love. And that's why we can sing that song, Oh, how he loves us, and become overwhelmed by his glory and his love because we don't deserve it. Absolutely do not. But he freely gives to those who surrender and believe in him.
Did you catch this? Grace saves, trains, redeems, and cleans. The saving part is a believing part. The training us is the behaving part. The redeeming part is believing and behaving. And the cleaning us is the believing part. Again, this theme continues through the book of Titus of we behave how we believe and throughout our daily lives. And then last week, the title was Preach the Gospel to Yourself. To get up in the morning and what's the first thing you do and what's the first thing you look at? Your notifications on your phone, your emails, your to-do list. Even your spouse could be a good thing. Hey, good morning. Give him a kiss. Love you. It's not a bad thing. But before we open our eyes, what if we preach the gospel to ourselves? What if we reminded ourselves of God's saving grace? Of, oh, how much he loves us. Of how no matter what I did yesterday, what I will do today, good or bad, he loves me. He loves me. And should I believe that wholeheartedly and respond in kind and love, the good works that will flow out of my life, out of my mouth, and thus show him I love him back. The quote from Paul David Tripp, I've got to say it again. No one is more influential in our lives than we are because no one talks to us more than we do. So what are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself about the gospel? The saving grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ? Or are you telling yourself that you're an idiot? Or are you telling yourself that you're better than that person? What are you telling yourself? So, let's read our passage this morning. Thanks for that quick walk back. That highlight reel, if you would. If you're able and willing, would you stand with me while I read this passage this morning? Titus 3, 8 through 15. It'll be on the screen behind me, I believe. And uh, you're welcome to follow along in your Bible. I do read out of the Christian Standard Bible. I was asked this recently, so I thought I'd just say it again. Um, that's, the, that's the translation that I really have enjoyed this last year uh, in, a, in my personal study and time. And it's very close to the NIV and close to the ESV and um, smoother than the New American Standard Bible and uh, smoother than the King James. Nobody talks that way anymore, right? Uh, it's a great translation. I'm not knocking it, but I don't say thou or thy. So uh, that trips me up. If it doesn't trip you up, maybe you should be up here instead of me. I don't know. But that's okay. This is the, this is the role that God gave me. So enough of that. Titus 3, 8 through 15. <clears throat> this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, because they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. For you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, anytime scriptures say he, it's also saying she, okay? Just think about the language differences and other cultures and their languages, and they, they do that a lot. They reference it. The English language is wacko. So just wanted to make sure we're on the same page on that. He and she. Verse 12, When I send Artemis 
or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, because I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. You can be seated. So this morning in this passage, there's, there are five quick main points that I want to bring out. Uh, nothing is new under the sun. Maybe you've heard some of these points somewhere before. I'm not going to claim to be the author of them by any means, shape, or form, or fashion. Um, so, uh, but I do want, I think they're applicable, I think they're relevant, and I, I think they're the exact points that need to be made here this morning. So, they are, the first one is ignore what is foolish, and that's in verse 9. The second one is stiff arm the divisive, verses 10 and 11. Verse 3 is follow the leader, verses 12 and 13. The fourth one is persevere in good works, verse 14. And then the fifth one is extend love and grace in verse 15. And you're like, Matt, we just read those. That doesn't make sense, especially once you get to verse 12. I just heard a bunch of really crazy names. Well, let's walk through it. It's just like the beginning when we read the introduction to the letter, right? That we dig a little bit deeper. We're willing to apply ourselves a little bit and pray through it. Latch on to some stuff. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Maybe even use some resources and help. There's a lot more depth than just an introduction or just a closing of a letter. So let's look at this. Verse 8, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. So Paul here is saying is, is insisting on these things. Again, this is everything that he said before. This is all of the things that we just reviewed, this is everything in the letter, every word, insist on these things, Titus, at this church, to these people on the island of Crete. Insist on them. So that those who have believed God, again, what they believe, that then they will devote themselves to good works, their behavior. So Paul is continuing this theme in this verse 8. Reminding him of what he's talked about. What you believe is the absolute most important part. Your faith in Christ is the most important foundational part of your life. And what you do will flow out of that. Again, I'm just going to keep hammering this home because I have to remind myself of this almost every day. My wife and kids might say, every day, Dad, three or four times a day, please. What we believe determines how we behave. If you're not sure, ask somebody closest to you what you believe. Look at your checkbook register or your bank account online. What do you believe based off where you spend your money? What do you believe based off the words and your body language and how you communicate to somebody you say you love? Or somebody you have a hard time loving. What do you believe? So point one, verse nine. Ignore what is foolish, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. 
I love that one of the first two couple of weeks of us starting the book of Titus, I got a message on Facebook about, hey, what does this mean? What are they really saying? I loved that. I loved getting to know that somebody was reading it, wanting to understand it, and asking a question about that. Well, we'll get to talk about that together this morning. Avoiding foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they're unprofitable and worthless. In 2 Timothy, it says, these kind of people produce quarrels. That's what they're producing. I wonder what they believe. They're producing quarrels. This is a tactic of Satan to distract, divide, and destroy. Not just us as individuals, but especially a family or a body of believers like this. You see, he doesn't have to come in and have this huge or major explosion or implosion. All he's got to do is have somebody go, you know what, that whole once saved, always saved thing, I don't know. You know what, I wonder if the rapture is going to happen here or here. Or, you know what, if you baptize a child, you're just wrong. You can only be baptized if you're submersed. Are those kingdom eternal issues based off of our salvation? No. They're interesting to me. I think it's important for you to research them. Not just what's online, but I think it's important for you to understand and know what you believe and why you believe it. And yet be willing to say, I could be wrong still. What is important, what is foundational, is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, of God sending his son to be born as a human, what he created. To live life, to be a kid, to be a teenager, to be an adult, and to go out on the mission field as an adult and be the hands and feet of himself and love others and willingly submit to God's authority going to the cross to pay for our sin once and for all and conquering death, rising from the grave three days later. And that if we believe in that, we confess our sins to him and believe in that we will be saved that is foundational period and there's a lot of other peripheral things that happen that people can get all bent out of shape over and churches can divide and split and then denominations can rise up and all of these things can happen i'm here to say let's major on the majors and minor on the minors I can be in a great relationship with you and love you and we can both love the Lord and serve the Lord together and yet disagree on whether or not we're once saved or always saved. Okay? We can do that. And it's okay. You can have your opinion and I can have mine. And that's okay. What opinion doesn't change is the foundation of the gospel. Okay? If you want to ask me what my opinion is about this stuff, I'm happy to sit down over a cup of coffee with you and share with you what they are and why. My son and I, Spencer, we've had some great discussions on some of this stuff. There's some stuff that he's, he's learning and realizing in his life, asking questions about, challenging me on, and I appreciate it. And it's good. It's good to be challenged. I could be wrong. I have a niece that says, at the end of the day, we all could be wrong. <laughs> outside of this. Okay, so 
I'm spending more time on this, but at the same time, this is so important. This is so important about the health of our relationships together, of our community. It's something that Tom, who preceded me here, worked so hard to maintain and make sure that we were in unity. I said, describe new life to me, and that was the first word he always said, unity. Unity for the gospel for each other. So let's continue in that. Let's continue in his legacy of establishing that. And not get caught up in foolish debates, genealogies, who begot who, which was really important back then. Today, who really cares? We're all Heinz 57, right? Who knows? Uh, quarrels, disputes about the law because they're unprofitable and worthless. And most of these disputes that this text is talking about are gospel plus or minus. It was people coming in and saying, hey, yes, trust in Jesus and also you have to give this and do this and then you're good. Or really, you know what? Jesus did all that and that's great stuff, but then you don't have to truly follow him. You can just ask him to forgive you of your sins. You can believe him and then you're good. You can go on. You got your fire insurance and that's false. These things will distract us with what is worthless. They will divide us through the small insignificant matters. Things like music preference. It's amazing how many churches I've heard of blowing up over music. The songs that are sung, the style of leadership. It's amazing how many churches are blown up or people leave because they don't like a program or the lack of a program. Or because of the personality of the preacher. Or because he has a beard or doesn't have a beard. It's amazing. And it's sad and it's tragic that we as Christians can let Satan come in and speak these lies into our hearts and set such a horrible example to the world around us. Let's put that aside. Let's put that aside, guys. It's about Christ and him alone and his work in our lives. Salvation by faith alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Period. Point two, verses 10 and 11, to, dis, to stiff arm the divisive, to reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. For you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He or she is self-condemned. And so to clarify that, that's not just like, hey, you disagree with my opinion and you get warned once and twice and you're gone. It's not that, okay? It's, we're, not, we're not being that extreme by any means. John MacArthur says it this way. It's, it's someone who has no concern for unity or spiritual truth. Okay? That's the kind of device, divisive person that we need to look at stiff-arming. And then stiff-arming, what is divisive, does not mean doing nothing about it. Some, some people say ignoring the divisive. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, lays out very specific instructions on what to do with somebody who is sinning in the church, somebody who is being divisive. And we are to follow those. And that is the role of the elders of this church and the leaders of this church to enact that and follow that up. So, like I say almost every week, again, pray for us, please. Pray for us, because we never, ever want to be wrong in this. 
Our goal in our heart is for restoration. Our goal in our heart is for God's saving mercy and grace and love to take over their lives and change them. Our goal is to never have to ask anybody to leave. I would rather not confront anybody, honestly. That's, that's kind of the worst part of my job description. <laughs> I don't want to have to do that. But it's something that may be needed at some point. One commentator says this, Note carefully the sin we confront. It is public. That means we're all aware of it. It's habitual. It's serious. And it's lacking repentance. We're all going to sin. Every person that walked into this room is sitting here is a sinner. Some are saved by grace. Some, Lord willing, will be. But we're all sinners. And what this is saying is not just because we're all sinners that we've got to be confronted and church discipline has to be laid out. We are saying, though, that if it is public, habitual, serious, or lacking repentance, then we must address it. So it's somebody saying, yeah, I know I am and I don't care. I'm going to keep on keeping on. All right, that's kind of the baseline attitude where we would need to do that. If somebody says, I know I am, help me. Or I know I am and I'm getting help. I know I am. How do I? Amen. Let's lock arms. Let's do anything and everything that we absolutely can to walk beside them. Pray for them, encourage them, and help them move past this. So I don't know about you. I would want that in my own life if it was me. With any confrontation, the goal should be for God's glory and their restoration. And then confrontation should be handled with grief, humility, self-examination, and a broken heart. We should always have our motives in check. Point three, verses 12 and 13. Follow the leader. Paul says in his letter to Tim, or, uh, Titus, not Timothy, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, I may be saying that wrong, uh, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos, Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. It's kind of like saying Peter Piper picked a peck of pickles, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, wow. Okay, sorry. This is Paul giving Titus strategic ministry instructions. He's saying, you've been there. You've been pastoring a church on this island. I've discipled you. Uh, you've planted this church. And now it's time for you to move on. I'm sending guys to replace you. Your season and your time there is done. And that's okay. We see that happen in the church when it just began in the old. We've seen it recently happen here in the church today. God was calling Tom to move on to a new ministry and a new season of life. God called us away from our previous church to here. This goes on. This is normal. This is regular. We've seen Matt and Amy be called to go and serve full-time at a church in Neosho. We miss them. But praise God, they're following God in that. And it's a win for the kingdom. And that's how our mindset should be. That we love each other, we disciple each other, we grow in our faith and strength, and Lord willing, wow, what a testimony of this church could be if 100% of us turn over in 10 years because God's called us all full-time somewhere else. And there's all brand new people sitting here, but every person was called somewhere. 
I don't want that to happen. Honestly, I really like you guys. I, oh, God just brings more people and they just go, no. But I don't want to be the person that goes. We like it here. I'm just, just reiterating. But at the same time, if God were to do that, what a testimony of this place. God using this place to advance his kingdom and his church in that way. What an amazing thing that we could say and brag on God about. So Paul is doing that with Titus. He's like, hey, you've been there. You've got it started. Gary Watson and I were talking yesterday about how some people are the starters. They just love to come in, start something new, get it going for a couple of years, and then hand it off and go start something new. I feel like that that maybe Titus is one of those kind of personalities based off this book and what Paul's doing and calling him out, sending others to come in, sending in the steady, the guys that are setting the pace, uh, that, that are in there for the long haul. Christ set the ultimate example for us in this, that when he submitted to God by going to the cross. We see, Tata, we see Titus submitting to Paul here and saying, okay, and he went on. He went on. He followed the leadership above him, the leadership that was in place. Christ set that example. And so when it comes to the qualifications for an elder or a spiritual leader in the church, their godliness, who they are becoming in Christ, is the highest and most important characteristic. Not about their role where they're at. And guys, those who are in those roles desperately, desperately need your prayers. Please pray for us. I was just overwhelmed this morning on my drive in of just needing that. And I asked a couple of men to join me in my office. That's why we were, some of us were late coming in during the songs. It's like, pray, please pray with me. Pray for this time. Pray for the people here. Pray for me that I would speak God's words. Every person in this room was prayed for this morning, not by name, but in spirit. I just want you to know that. There's many weeks that our team that cleans prays over almost every square inch of this building and that God's work and ministry and love would happen here. There's many times during a week that Tony and I are both praying over this building. We have walked this building several times praying and will continue to do so. As the elders of this congregation, you are loved. And we are making that commitment publicly to pray for you on an ongoing and regular basis. And I ask for you to also pray for us as well. Point four, persevere in good works. Verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Again, the theme of the book, the theme of the letter, behavior flowing out of what is believed the word learn in this verse is related to our English word of discipleship. Isn't that cool? Let our people learn to devote themselves and that our English word for that is discipleship. How will they learn or know without being taught? Romans ten fourteen tells us that how then can they call on him have they, they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And that's not just me. That's every believer. That is each of us as believers sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is not this magical thing either. 
another conversation Gary and I had yesterday. More times than not, it's about listening. It's about just being willing to listen to this person who has a need, a random stranger. Not to say anything about me, but I had that opportunity yesterday after our conversation, Gary, at Walmart. I was in there getting some things on the way home at Jane Walmart, and there's a guy on the car dial uh, down from me, younger guy, and he's just, he's kind of making some comments and some of them rather profane about cards and showing me ones that I'd rather not see in uh, different things. And, and then he made the comment about his sister being in the hospital trying to figure out what she'd like and if she'd laugh or not if I got her this because of his sick sense of humor or whatever. And I was like, well, what? what? Okay, uh, you're telling me a lot about yourself and I, you don't even know me. And so I just was like, well, what's wrong with your sister? He's like, well, she was in a car wreck. Uh, evidently his sister and uncle were in that car wreck on Cyclone Road, if you guys heard about that, where they flipped. His uncle may not make it, uh, but she is going to be doing okay, but she's broke the base of her skull and she's going to be in a neck brace. This is all just me standing there in the aisle learning this about this guy. His name's Aaron. And just listening of what's going on and what happened and him just sharing things and just and I said, man, you don't know me from anybody else. And I was like, my name's Matt. And he told me his and I just said, I'm going to be praying for your sister and your uncle. And uh, he's like, Thanks. Thanks. And sometimes just that simple taking two minutes, three minutes of listening can be a seed planted. Who knows? I prayed right then for him. I prayed that I'll run into him again someday and ask him and get to follow up. So if you think about it, pray for a guy named Aaron and his salvation. And it was that simple. Could I take three minutes to talk to a cashier as she's checking me out and just listen? Yeah, we all can. It's, we don't have to just be only called to a mission field and learn another language. Well, that's fantastic and courageous. And thank the Lord for people who are. It's about us taking that time. I've jumped ahead of myself. Give me a second. I'm sorry. I'm saying things ahead of myself and behind myself and just trust on the Lord. So you guys have heard me say that Human being versus a human doing. Okay? And again, the human being part is, is who God created us to be. The what he wants and desires for us to become in him. The being part. Human being. But yet we operate in the world of what we do every day. But the doing part, again, will take care of itself as we've learned throughout this whole book. What we do will take care of itself as we focus on who we are becoming. Even in confrontation, when done in truth, love, the right motives, for the goal of restoration, that can even be a good fruit. There's a scripture, and I'm not remembering the reference, where it says, there's almost no greater honor than for somebody who has pursued somebody living in sin and love, and they have restored, they have come back and confessed the person that goes after them and walks with them and loves on them and, and, he's, and the person chooses to come back to Christ. There's almost no greater reward for that person that was willing to go after them, to walk with them in that rest- restoration process. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a German uh, pastor who was put in prison and executed during World War II uh, because he wouldn't quit p- 
proclaiming the gospel. The Nazi regime came in. I don't know if you know much about the history. They came in and told all the pastors that they couldn't say that, that, that Hitler was basically everything. And they couldn't preach against everything that was happening to the Jews and the African Americans and the many others that the Nazis were imprisoning and killing. And, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer wouldn't quit. And so they put him in prison. And uh, that's where he remained until he was executed. But he, he read. He was allowed to read and he was allowed to write. And some of his stuff is just amazing. Um, and this quote from him says, Nothing can be more cruel than that leniency which abandons others to sin. I want to read that again. Nothing can be more cruel than that leniency which abandons others to sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than that severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Just a quick encouragement for parents in this. Parents, God gave us our children to raise and to discipline and love and to point them to Christ, not to be our friends. This is not in my notes. I just feel like I need to say this. When they are older, when they have moved out of the house, Lord willing, it's not too long, right? Hopefully they're not in their 30s, still at home. There are situations that allow for short periods of that, and I understand that. But at that stage, that's when, so Spencer and I are moving into friendship. I'm still his dad, I always will be. He's still my son, always will be. But there's a brotherhood and there's a friendship that is forming and growing out of that. Because my role as a dad that I failed at miserably a lot of times was to disciple him and help him to look to Christ. Not to me. It's not about his behavior. It's about what he believed. And not getting caught up if I thought he was embarrassing me in public or somewhere else. So parents, our job is to love them by parenting them. Pointing them to Christ disciplining them when necessary. When we let our kids sin, there is nothing more cruel than that leniency which abandons others to sin. When our child is disrespectful to us or to somebody else, when they're disobedient to, to what God says, if we don't teach them that, who will? Who will? This is the most loving thing we can do. I tell my boys often, my job's not to be your friend. I look forward to that day when we can be. I look forward to that day. But right now, and I'm thankful for today, my job's to be your dad. And as your dad, I love you. And as your dad, I need to disciple you, point you to Christ, and also discipline you when needed. So when we spend time with them, when we love them, when we capture their hearts, your child can trust you when you discipline them. They know you love them. So that was a freebie, not in the notes. Point five, extend love and grace. All those who are with me, send your greetings. Greet those who love us in faith. Grace be with all of you. The final farewell from Paul to his spiritual son, Titus. The friends with Paul 
See, again, reading between the line, those who are with me. So Paul's with other brothers and sisters in Christ where he's writing this. And sending, they're sending them greetings. They know each other. And even if they didn't, there's got, during this time of great oppression in the church, and it should be that way today for us, that anytime we're with other believers and we're reaching out to another believer, we should be like, tell them hi. Tell them God loves them. Remind them of the gospel. I'm praying for them. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. See the pillars, the two legs in which the Christian faith is based on love and grace. Love and grace. And Paul is reemphasizing this yet once again here at the end. The love and grace initiated by God through Christ on the cross. So in summary, believe. Believe. Ignore what is foolish. Stiff arm the divisive. Follow the leaders that God's in place. Persevere in good works and extend love and grace. Where are you at today? Where are you at? Thank you. It's because it's God's church. So today, in your heart, what has God shown you? What has maybe God peeled the layer back in your life to? Is there someone that you're out of sync in relationship with? You can't control them, but you can control you. Do you need to go to them and repent? Maybe you're here and God just finally lifted the veil to his love for you in your life for the first time. And you're going, oh, he does love me. How he loves me. How do I know him? How do I bring in relationship with him? I'm going to offer a simple prayer if you'd like to pray it. It's not a formula. You can change my words, make them your words. In fact, I'd rather you do that. But maybe just this would help guide you to get started in the process. He sent his son, his very only son, to earth to become like what he created, to become a helpless baby that had to be raised by parents and fed to grow up, to be a man, to to experience blood and sweat and tears and grief and sorrow and emotion and joy and happiness and all of the things that we experience so that he knows he can empathize with us. And he chose to take all our sin, all of our bad fruit, and take it on himself on the cross. For us, even though we hadn't deserved it, we hadn't chosen it, we hadn't chosen him. He separated himself from the perfect triune fellowship with God and the Holy Spirit on the cross. Something greater than any sorrow or affliction we could ever go through. 
And he rose again. He conquered death. He beat sin. In obedience to glorify his heavenly father and so that we can be in relationship with him. You see, God doing that for us so that we can then be in relationship with him. He said, not only am I doing this out of obedience, I'm doing this to bring your creation back to you, God. So that they can glorify you and they can worship you without fault. Because my blood on the cross is what he sees when he looks at us. He sees his perfect son's blood shed on the cross when he looks at us. There is not one sin that that cannot cover and clean and redeem. There's not one. You're not going to shock me. I don't care what it is. There is not one sin that his blood did not cover and redeem. So give up that silly notion. Throw it out the window. Our part, our only part in this is surrendering to him. So, I've rarely done this here. You know that. But would you bow your heads, close your eyes. If you already know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, thank him. Praise him for that. Maybe there's some business you need to do. Maybe there's something that you're believing falsely in your life. So do that right now. If you don't know him, Just say this in your heart with me. And again, use your words, not mine. But Lord Jesus, I realize there is nothing I can ever do or say that would allow me to be in relationship with you outside of your work on the cross. And it is only because of that and me surrendering to you being the authority in my life that I can know you. So Jesus, would you? I need you. I'm a sinner. I mess up all the time. But would you save me, Lord? Would you become the Lord of my life? And sustain me with your grace and love as you promise in your word each day. In your name, amen. Would the men come up? We're going to transition to communion here. Communion, if you don't know, is a time where we as believers, we remember that act on the cross that Jesus sacrificed for us. This is that time that we remember that. And he asked us to do this. So we want to be faithful and obey in that. And so the bread is a representation. It's not some weird thing. Some people get hung up on this as if they're not a believer or new to the faith. It's not about some weird thing like we're eating his flesh, his actual flesh. It's a reminder of his broken body. Of him going to the cross willingly for us. And his body, his physical body, literally being broken and crushed for us. And then the juice that we drink 
is a reminder of his blood shed. And he did this with his disciples the night before he went to the cross. And he modeled this. And he said, in any time we're together, do this in remembrance of me. And so this is a way we can remember him. Much like we might have a picture of a loved one in our home that's already gone home to heaven. That reminds us of them. This is a way that we can do that together. So um, the way that we do this here, um, we, are you guys going to pass it out today or we're going to let them come up? Okay. The way that we're doing it this morning is that as you're ready, if you and your family or you as an individual would like to come up and grab a juice and a bread and then take that back to your seat, um, then I'll read the passage and we'll, we'll take the elements together. So I'll read the first part of the passage about the bread and we'll eat it together. And then we'll do the juice thing together. Not that we're robots or puppets, but just we're family. We're family. And so uh, just us doing this together is just another symbol of us being unified together under his, under his love and under his grace. So um, if you are not a believer, um, this isn't for you yet. Uh, and I would gladly like to visit with you if you have further questions about that now or later. Uh, my contact information is in the bulletin if we don't catch each other after the service. But, uh, or if you just accepted Christ, come for the first time, celebrate with us. So, uh, just as you're ready and able, just come on up.